Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. There is perhaps no greater stain on American history than that of the slave trade. For over 200 years, millions of African men, women, and children were kidnapped from their homes and enslaved, forced to work on plantations picking crops like cotton and tobacco for white owners who did not see them as people. To those in power, especially in the southern states, enslaved people were simply property. It was a dark and tumultuous time, a time when the country was still new and finding its place in the larger world. Yet, despite slavery's wide acceptance, an abolitionist movement brewed among those who opposed its barbaric treatment of our fellow human beings. People like Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, and Harriet Tubman spoke out against the horrors of slavery, as did many allies such as author Harriet Beecher Stowe and John Quincy Adams. Yet there was one abolitionist who did much to further the cause, but despite his theatrical approach to ending slavery, few people have heard of him today. So, Let's change that. His name was Benjamin Lay, and he was a white man born in Copford, England in 1682. His parents were Quakers, and they instilled a strong moral compass in him from a young age. When he was in his mid-30s, Benjamin moved to Barbados to work as a merchant. His time there gave him a first-hand look at the injustices of the world, namely the enslavement of black people, and it infuriated him. He grew more impassioned after a harrowing experience watching an enslaved man take his own life to spare himself another lashing from his owner. From that point forward, Benjamin let everyone else know what he thought of slavery, which didn't quite endear him to the people profiting from it on the island. He left Barbados in 1731 and settled down in Pennsylvania, where he continued to advocate against the slave trade. It wasn't something yet codified in Quaker philosophy. Quakers themselves had been prominent slave traders early on, although abolition had become an increasingly popular cause among them informally. His vocal admonition of it, though, cemented Benjamin as one of the more progressive minds of his time. And he didn't just talk the talk, either. He saw everyone as equal, and Benjamin was so against slavery that he made his own clothes, too, so as not to purchase anything that might have been manufactured using slave labor. He also wrote hundreds of essays and pamphlets on a handful of issues, including slavery, as well as a book published by Benjamin Franklin. In addition to his work toward abolition, he was also anti-capital punishment and believed the existing prison system needed serious reform. But perhaps most importantly, Benjamin Lay was an activist. He did not rely on his words to get his message across. In order to get people to hear him, to really hear him, he knew he had to go bigger, partly because he was a four-foot-tall man with a hunchback and extremely long arms. 
People did not take him seriously due to his looks. They were just not going to listen to him, so he had to make them. In one act of defiance, he stood outside a Quaker meeting house in the dead of winter with nothing on but his shirt, a pair of pants, and a single shoe. He shoved one of his bare feet in the snow and waited there in the cold. When someone asked him why he was doing this or encouraged him to put on warmer clothing, Benjamin informed them that enslaved people didn't have the luxury of warm coats and shoes in the winter. They were still forced to work outside, dressed much like he was right then. He also didn't hesitate to hit slaveholders where they lived. Benjamin once asked a six-year-old neighbor boy to come to his home and spend time with him there for several hours. When it got late, the boy's parents ran outside in a panic looking for him. After a short while, Benjamin emerged and told them that the boy was fine. He'd been with him the whole time. But their desperation and sadness were the same desperation and sadness felt by the parents of the young black girl the couple had enslaved when she had been ripped from their arms. And finally, in perhaps his most impressive and ostentatious demonstration, Benjamin wore a soldier's uniform and delivered a speech against slavery in front of his fellow Quakers at the yearly meeting in Philadelphia. He held in his hand a Bible and read out loud, Thus shall God shed the blood of those persons who enslave their fellow creatures. When his speech was over, Benjamin withdrew his sword and drove it through the front cover of the Bible, which bled and sprayed red liquid all over himself and his audience. It wasn't real blood, though. He had hollowed out the middle of the book and placed a bladder full of pokeberry juice inside. The stunt shocked all in attendance, and Benjamin was forced to leave the meeting. Rather than walk away, though, he lay down outside the door of the venue so that when people left, they had to step over him and see his bloody corpse in all its glory. It may have been appalling and offensive at the time, but it worked. Thanks to Benjamin's advocacy, Philadelphia Quakers expelled all slaveholders from their ranks. Benjamin Lay was, by 18th century standards, a strange and garish person. He wasn't afraid to go against the grain or to make people feel uncomfortable. He even convinced Ben Franklin to free his enslaved people in the event of his death. Benjamin Lay was a hero and an ally. But above all else, despite his small stature, he was someone that you could look up to and a role model for people everywhere for all time. Curious? Yes. But also incredibly noble. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. 
Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier, and these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head-on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Money changes people. Too much can make them more selfish. Too little can make them desperate. And for those with a lot of it, money can transform them into strange individuals who spend it in peculiar ways. For example, a Canadian dentist named Michael Zook spent over $31,000 in 2011 to purchase a tooth. But not just any tooth. It was a molar that had been plucked from the mouth of the legendary beetle John Lennon. His reason for procuring such a morbid item? He wanted to clone the late musician. But few of these eccentric elites can hold a candle to Ida Mayfield Wood, who made quite a stir in 1930s New York City. Ida was born in 1838 and came to New York at the age of 19 to start a new chapter in her life. She hoped to take her rightful place at the top of society, where she felt she belonged. She was young, but knew exactly who she was and what she wanted from life. Ida's father had been the owner of a sugar plantation back home in Louisiana, while her mother had been an English aristocrat, distantly related to the Earls of Crawford. In order to maintain her status in a man's world, though, she realized that she needed a man to help her navigate it. She found what she needed in Benjamin Wood, a 37-year-old newspaper owner and Confederate sympathizer from Kentucky. There was just one problem. He was already married. Ida didn't mind, though. She continued to pursue Benjamin, and the two began a long-lasting affair. They even had a daughter together named Emma. And when Benjamin's wife suddenly passed away in 1867, he and Ida were finally able to tie the knot. He was just what she needed. Ida worked her way up to the head of the New York upper class and found herself mentioned in all the papers. She even snagged a visit with Abraham Lincoln shortly after he won the election. But wedded bliss was not in the cards. Literally, Benjamin had a nasty gambling habit, which made Ida worried about her future. She certainly didn't want him throwing away all of their money, so she made a deal with him. He was free to gamble as much as he wanted under two conditions. First, she got half of all of his winnings no matter what, and second, he was responsible for paying back all of his debts and losses. With those rules in place, Benjamin continued to gamble, and he lost often, but not to loan sharks or betting houses. He lost to his wife, who was now even wealthier than when she'd married him. Ida also bought a majority stake in her own husband's newspaper. Benjamin eventually died in 1900, leaving behind a lot of money and a rich newspaper-owning widow. Ida sold the paper shortly thereafter for $250,000, and she kept selling. In 1907, she got rid of almost everything she owned, as if she was purging herself of her old life. And once it was all gone, 
She withdrew $1 million from her bank account in a single transaction and moved herself into a two-room suite at the Herald Square Hotel. After that, she stopped going out. She stopped dining with other rich New York socialites and celebrities, instead becoming a recluse. But she wasn't alone. Her sister Mary and her own daughter Emma both lived in the suite with her. No guests were ever permitted through the door, nor was any hotel staff. Their only interaction with people on the outside occurred when they would pay one of the bellhops to bring them food and supplies once per day. Things like bacon and eggs, coffee, cigars, and petroleum jelly for Ida to slather all over her face. She claimed that it helped keep her skin moist and young-looking. As far as the hotel staff knew, the women had just enough money to stay there but were otherwise broke. Sadly, Ida outlived Emma, with her daughter passing in 1928 at 71 years old. The two sisters remained in the room for the next few years, until Mary suddenly took a turn for the worse in 1931. Ida, afraid for her sister, left the hotel room for the first time in 14 years and called out for help. A doctor came, but it was too late. Mary was already deceased, and after looking around at the room, he was shocked that Ida hadn't gone with her. It was a mess. The room was cluttered with their belongings, as well as cans and boxes of old food. There were stacks of newspapers, dirt, debris. Over a decade of filth had built up due to their isolated lifestyle. With Mary gone, a lawyer stepped in to assist Ida in the next phase of her life. Clearly, she could no longer remain inside her room. But as he helped her, he discovered the truth about her situation. She was rich. Very rich. She still owned about $175,000 in railroad stocks, with countless dividend checks gone uncashed. There was almost a million dollars in cash and expensive jewelry hidden everywhere in the place. Once news got out about Ida and her money, relatives from all over, people who had never seen her or spoken to her in her entire life, came out of the woodwork to stake their claim. It was the Great Depression, after all. Her late husband's cousins, nephews, and even his son showed up with their hands out, as did people claiming to be related to her mother and father from Louisiana. Except Ida hadn't really come from Louisiana. Her father hadn't owned a plantation, and as far as anyone knew, her mother wasn't related to the Earls of Crawford. Ida had been born in Oldham, England, to poor parents who had emigrated to the United States when she was a young girl. She didn't want to be poor any longer. She believed that she deserved better, so she invented a new identity, one that helped her capture the attention of Benjamin Wood. And the rest, as they say, was history. Sadly, the adventure was over for her. The 94-year-old Ida was declared incompetent and removed from her room, no doubt in a desperate bid by the 1,100 others to get their hands on her money. But by the time she died of bronchial pneumonia in 1932, only a handful of people were able to legally claim her riches for themselves. Ida Wood's lasting legacy wasn't one of generosity or love, nor was it monetary. It was a legacy she had built for herself, using her own wits and fortitude. Or, as the kids might say today, she faked it till she made it. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. 
And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.